2: Hey everybody, it's Stan. Welcome to our Browns post-game podcast, the Monday edition of the podcast. Even though maybe you're listening to this to this on a Sunday, uh, this is our post-game show that we do with our tech subscribers every single week via Zoom. And if you want to get involved in this, all you got to do is go sign up for Football Insider. Head to Cleveland.com slash Browns and you get exclusive to, I'm sorry, you get access to all those exclusive stories on Cleveland.com slash Browns. You also get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox with exclusive content. I actually wrote the one for Monday that only goes to our Football Insider subscribers in that newsletter. And you have an opportunity to get involved with our subscription service where me, Ellis, Mary Kay, Scott will text you with our Browns thoughts, analysis, news, all of that good stuff. And of course, you get a chance to be a part of not only our picks podcast on Fridays, but also our post game shows after the game on Sundays. So check out Football Insider. Go to slash Browns. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page. Now, here's our post game podcast following the Browns' 16 to 6 loss to the Las Vegas Raiders. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, our post-game show edition. I am Dan Lobby, and joining me here off the top, Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you?
0: I'm doing fine. I I, uh, feel bad for fans that uh, were so excited about this game. So uh, I'm doing fine, but like I said, I feel a little bit bad for the fans after this one.
2: Well, and I I feel particularly bad for the fans that were actually here at the stadium. Uh, They were a hearty bunch, uh, 16-6. to The Browns lose this football game. Just a really disappointing, kind of uninspiring way, I guess, is, is the way I'd put it, to go into the bye week. Uh, you know, you're five and three, and I'm, we're going to talk about that over the course of this podcast. I'm sure you and I will get into that, too, before, uh, before you go. But just the game itself, a really disappointing way uh, to go into the bye week. Just a, a lot of mistakes, a lot of things that plays they could have made that might have changed this football game a little bit. Um, it, it's just really hard, I guess, to, to kind of put into words, you know, how uninspired it all was.
0: Yeah. Well, you know what, here's the thing. I mean, the, the Oakland, I mean, the Las Vegas Raiders come in here, this high flying team that scores a ton of points. Now the weather was obviously a huge factor with the wind and the snow and the hail, but still the Raiders, did, they blew a lot of opportunities early on in this game. Okay. I mean, they went down, marched down uh, on that very first on their very first long drive, uh, they had a big key clutch drop in the red zone uh, and then they hit the left upright on the first field goal attempt. So the Browns dodge a huge bullet there. They come back and Harrison Bryant uh, is forced to fumble. These are the kinds of mistakes that you cannot make in a game like this, where you know uh, that you need to score some points, uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, then they come back and the Browns only get a field goal uh, they have a, a situation where I think I, I would. I, do you think he should have had that one where they had to sell for their first field goal? Um, it, it was kind of trying to
2: remember. I can't remember it off the top of my head. Honestly,
0: it went off of his hands. It's a catch that Jarvis usually makes, um, but uh, it, it was a little bit wide. So anyways, so they, they just blew some opportunities early on to, uh, you know, just to. to to score some points and to to get on top here of of this game, because uh, when the Raiders are not scoring, that's when you need to seize the moment. Uh, And they just were not able to do that. Now Baker had about three of his passes dropped. Uh, They had the Landry touchdown uh, that was overturned. Uh, I think the Browns felt like, uh, you know, it was sort of even Steven between the Renfro touchdown and the Landry touchdown in terms of, uh, if you're going to take one of those off the board, you have to take both of them off the board. Um, so, you know, I mean, here, here they were in the third quarter and it's six to six and they can't put the game away. And that's where uh, the Raiders just started uh, taking over time of possession and not letting the Browns get the ball back and they couldn't get off the field. Of course, a huge factor, Dan, was Miles Garrett and the ankle and the knee injury.
2: Yeah, that, that really hurt them to not have him. He was, he was struggling out there even when he was on the field. He was struggling to get off the field. Um, you know, he was only out there on passing downs, and, and you could just tell he was in pain. He's going to have an MRI on that uh, on Monday. You know, the thing about this game, though, is, and this is what I wrote right after the game, is the Raiders kind of out the Browns today, which normally when you say that, that's a bad thing. But today it, it means that they did some really good things. And this is sort of what I, how I thought this game might look, not the score, but just these are two teams that really value possession of the football. And these are two teams that know how to keep possession of the football. Um, so I, I thought maybe we'd see a game in the 20s. And I think in normal conditions, we would have where both teams are really efficient. Both teams score, you know, when they have the ball. And the Raiders really did a nice job, I thought, of just possessing the football. And, and it's something that Kevin Stefanski really preaches. And it stood out to me. 4-0-2 left at the end of the half. The Raiders take over 3-3. Three to three. And they ran this four-minute offense to perfection. How many times have we seen Kevin Stefanski be able to run that four-minute offense to perfection? The Raiders take a 6-3 lead to the locker room. That's not when they won the game, obviously, but that's kind of when they sent the message that, uh, you know, hey, we're going to be efficient. We're going to hold the ball. The time of possession in this game was outlandish, 37-43 for the Raiders, 22-17 for the Browns. Um, and and that's what the Browns try to do. They try to control the game on the ground. They try to hang on to the football, run an efficient offense. They didn't do that today, and look, we've got to talk about the drops. Uh, David Njoku had a huge drop. Jarvis had, you know, a couple of drops. Now, I I don't blame him for that one in the fourth quarter when he got hit. Baker threw the ball up high, and he got hit in the back.
3: Mm -hmm. I I
2: don't know that I count that one as a drop, but he had some drops. Kareem Hunt had another drop today, Mm -hmm. so – yeah, you know, I actually thought Baker played pretty well, to be honest. Uh, you know, his numbers might not look that way, but I, I didn't watch Baker today and think, boy, he's really struggling. I think he was kind of let down today uh, by, by some of his receivers.
0: Yeah, he really was. It, it was unfortunate. And this was the first game without Odell Beckham Jr., right? And I think that everybody just assumed that it was going to be like it was in Cincinnati, where it was so much more efficient. And everybody did a wonderful job without Odell. And I think that, uh, you know, I think this was a testament to the fact that, you know what, uh, let's not go blaming uh, the offensive struggles of this football team on one of the best receivers in the game of football. Rashad Higgins only had one catch for 14 yards in this game. Um, and as you mentioned, there were a significant amount of drops. I think this is a game where you can honestly say uh, that they really did miss uh, some of their star players, like really missed their star players. If you think about it, if they would have probably had Nick Chubb, Austin Hooper, Odell Beckham Jr., Miles Garrett for most of the game, there's a good chance they could have won this game. But uh, th- that put a, just a little bit too much strain and stress on them to be without all of those guys. Wyatt Teller, uh, because it became a, became a ground game. I mean, if you were here, there was whipping winds, hail and snow. It became a game where you had to be able to get the job done on the ground. So for sure, Nick Chubb would have helped a lot. Uh, but that's what the Raiders were able to do. I mean, and the Browns have the offensive line to do it. I mean, they should have been somehow they should have been able to uh, to manage the ground game a little bit better than they did. Um, but for whatever reason, it just didn't happen. Uh, the the Raiders kept played keep away. And uh, that was kind of the name of the game.
2: It, it was really disappointing, I thought, how the Browns um, just kind of got bullied a little bit today by the Raiders and and this Raiders defense isn't very good. And and we do need to acknowledge the conditions. It was brutal out there. The uh, you know, the goalposts were shaking, you know, I I don't know if people can hear it behind me, but every time the wind blows, you can hear it whistling through this door behind me. Um, It's still really windy out there. Uh, You know, I think if you're watching on the video here, you can see that I haven't really recovered from the wind from, from walking into the stadium this morning, I really need to go get a haircut, but that's another story. Um, but, it, <laughs> but these conditions, you know, really contributed to this. If you saw our predictions before the game, we were all thinking high scoring game, you know, again, in the twenties or the thirties and, it just didn't happen. Um, but you know, look, look, the Raiders looked like the better football team today. They came into Cleveland and, and they looked like the better football team. And I don't think there's any way around that. Maybe we play this game in a month or a month and a half and the Browns look better than the Raiders if they're healthy, but Uh, Mary Kay, before I let you go, I I think that's probably, I guess that's the most disappointing thing, but big picture, you're still five and three. So this game kind of taints it a little, but ultimately five and three at the bye. I, I think you'll take that, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. And like I said, I think that if you add in all of those players that we talked about before, uh, this was a very winnable game. I think if you have most of those players playing this game, uh, that the Browns could have won this game. I mean, even just having Miles Garrett uh, there to help you get that, you know, to get them off the field in the second half, I think would have been huge. He's their best defensive player. I thought that he would be the difference in this game. I thought the Browns could win it in large part because of miles he had his six game sack streak snapped easy for me to say um but you know he wasn't able to uh you know to get any of those things accomplished Derek Carr gets rid of the ball very quickly anyway so I think even if miles had been there it probably would have been a little bit difficult he was also suffering from an ankle injury coming in but I do think that uh you know, that this was a situation where if you had your full complement of guys and they should be getting a lot of people back after the bye, which is coming up next week, uh, you know, I think they're going to be okay. They still have a ton of losing teams to play, a ton of losing teams. They, they Five before today, five of their remaining opponents had two victories or fewer. Uh, they're still playing a lot of bad defenses coming up, but this was definitely one they, this was a winnable game and definitely not the way they wanted to go into the bye week.
2: Let me throw one more question at you, Mary Kay, because somebody in the uh, in the chat asked this, uh, Klee Brown's network, uh, can you talk about possible trade targets for Tuesday's deadline? That's sort of where we, we turn our attention. Are you expecting anything to happen with this football team uh, between now and Tuesday at four o'clock?
0: You know, I'm really not. I'm really not expecting anything. If something does happen, I would guess that it would be a minor deal where we might, might not have even really necessarily heard of the player. If something big happens, it's unforeseen because from everything that I've heard from all the due diligence that I've done and all the calls that I've made, uh, I just don't think there's anything cooking right now. You know, I've looked into, you know, guys like Anthony Harris and different people like that. I don't find that there's anything uh, that is on the front burner. People ask a lot about Dave Njoku and what is his situation. Um, You know, they still like him. The only way he's getting out of here is if his camp is able to find something that brings the Browns better value than what he brings. They're not going to give him away. They're not just going to trade him because he would like to be somewhere else. They will only deal him if it improves the team for not only this year, but going forward. So as of right now, I don't really anticipate anything.
2: Well, I've got some thoughts about what that value could be, but maybe we'll talk about that later. (laughs) Mary Kay, we'll we'll let you go here and we'll, uh, Ellis is is ready to jump in. I know we'll we'll probably have Doug jumping in as well and and possibly even Terry Pluto, who knows. So uh, Mary Kay, we'll let you go. And we'll continue with our post game show here. Thanks guys. All right. Uh, So as I said, Ellis is uh, with us here. Ellis, you should be set to unmute yourself if you can. There we go. Um, And so Ellis, I guess let's just start here. I always like to do this when as soon as somebody here joins us. And also I just want everybody to know out there if you wanna pop on your video now, you're welcome to do that. And of course we'll start taking some questions here as well. So just use that raise hand function uh, in Zoom or you can throw them into the chat if you're more comfortable doing that. Uh, we'll, we'll try and get to as many as we can over the next, uh, however long we go here. Brown 16 to six losers to the Las Vegas Raiders. All of you out there have to keep track of how many times I say Oakland and find me accordingly. Ellis, what did you think of this game?
3: yeah well of course, first we just have to talk about the weather uh because i don't want to sit here and dwell on it but that of course really changed the way these two play callers and kevin Stefanski and john gruden called the game um when the winds are swirling like that you just you don't even really dare throwing the ball downfield we saw uh early in the game uh they got baker outside the pocket and he completely missed david njoku and then uh, Derek carr had henry ruggs wide open downfield and that was a complete miss now are those complete misses because their quarterbacks weren't accurate, or is it the weather perhaps a little bit of both? Either way, that kind of threw the uh, downfield passing game out the window. But after that, it was um, the Raiders really just dominated the the Browns up front. And I think my big realization after this game is the Browns need to redefine their identity over this bye week. And what I mean by that is early in the season. You know, you think of the Cowboys game and whatnot. This was a run-dominant team and a team that could stop the run. Now, since Nick Chubbs left, Kareem Hunt has filled in, and he's been, he's been really good, but, you know, no 100-yard-plus game to show of. Um, he, he's good at getting those 10-plus-yard runs. They showed that stat today as he leads the league in 10 yards – runs 10 yards or more, but he isn't getting those explosive runs of perhaps 15 – Plus, second-level type Nick Chubb, Chubb game-breaking runs. Um, the Browns are kind of boxed in as an offense right now. And then for their defense, this used to be a team that could stop the run. And I said this on "Gotta Watch the Tape" the Friday edition that I was worried that that identity was slipping away. And the Cincinnati game was a smokescreen just because the Bengals had no interest in running the ball. I think Gio Giovanni Bernard only carried the ball 13 times. But if you go back to the Steelers game, the Steelers controlled that whole tempo. They ran the ball 20 times. James Conner gained 100 plus yards and they set the tone up front. And I was worried that the Raiders, knowing John Gruden being a disciplined play caller and a guy who running back Josh Jacobs has the fourth most carries going into this game, was going to give him the ball 25, 30 times regardless because his yards per average coming in this game are only 3.6. But he gives that young man the football regardless and what happened. 31 carries, 128 yards, and a 4.1 average. So this Browns team has not been as explosive running the football since Nick Chubb has been gone. And and Wyatt Teller's absence of sure has a lot to do with that. And they haven't been able to stop the run. So this bye week, uh, of course, they have to get healthy. But also, they need to re-identify and establish what kind of football team
2: they are going forward. It it was something I noticed when I watched the Raiders against Tampa is John Gruden doesn't really care. He's going to hand the ball to Josh Jacobs, whether it's working, whether it's not working. He's going to get Josh Jacobs the football. And, And today we saw 31 carries, 128 yards. Kareem Hunt only 14 carries, 66 yards. And again, where you really miss Nick Chubb, those explosive runs, like you said, but also the drop off. You know, you're not going from Nick Chubb to Kareem Hunt. You're going from Kareem Hunt to Dearness Johnson. And I know we've talked about that in these post game shows, but again, Dearness Johnson today, two carries, six yards, doesn't give you much. I do want to ask you um, about Baker Mayfield's performance today. The stat line is 12 of 25, 122 yards, a 62-4 rating. Um, I, I said this to Mary Kay. I, I didn't feel like Baker played poorly today. I thought he did, for the most part, what he needed to do. He was let down by, of course, David Njoku, Jarvis Landry, had some drops, Kareem Hunt had another drop today. Um, he, he was kind of let down by some things that might've changed that stat line and, and maybe kept some drives going today. And of course, not having much of a rushing attack behind him. Uh, I thought May- Baker Mayfield did for the most part, what he needed to do today. Um, you know, maybe there were some throws that, that he left out there. I, I, I wasn't disappointed in Baker's, I guess the, the short way of saying it.
3: Yeah, I think that's a good way to frame it. He did what he needed to do, but ultimately that was not enough. You highlighted the drops, the Njoku drops a killer. Um, some of those Landry ones are, um, let's talk about the touchdown drop where Landry got kind of that bang-bang play there. One thing, and the going back and watching the tape will we'll solve this, but my gut's telling me Baker is still hung up on his first read, and that is going to get Jarvis just lit up as we go forward here, and that though it's a play that you know Jarvis gets his hands on the football and windows in the red zone are so small that receivers need to be ready to take those hits. It's just a hit you don't like seeing your now number one receiver take. I mean, he got absolutely smashed, and I don't have the all-22 to know where else Baker may have been able to go with the football. But those are the types of plays where it's like, okay, yeah, Jarvis holds on to that, Baker's day looks different. But also I just don't think that's a ball worth throwing where even if he does come down with it, and you lose Jarvis for some time, are are these things worth it? So he's got to be better at reading the field and going through his progressions and not just throwing to the first guy. But again, back to the point that he did enough today, you can see it just in comparing him to the opposing quarterback, Derek Carr. Uh, Carr only completed three more passes, um, and basically the difference there are the drops that Baker had compared to a relatively clean game the Raiders had. Both their yards per attempt, 4.7 for Derek Carr, 4.9 for Baker Mayfield. And sure, these are two quarterbacks that are known to check it down a little more commonly than, say, some more aggressive downfield throwers. But when you see a number in the mid to high fours for yards per attempt, I think that's way more telling of the weather and the situation than it was Baker Mayfield playing a poor game.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned it—the throw to Rugs. I mean, that was that was a really bad miss. You know, seeing it in the Browns were very fortunate that he missed that one. Uh, that was obviously very early in the game, but but that was a big play waiting to happen. There was nothing downfield really for anybody today. Um, I, I thought Derek Carr played well. I thought he was under control. And again, just 112 yards and a touchdown and 87.5 rating, but it, but it felt like Derek Carr kind of knew exactly what he wanted to do most of this game. We've got somebody with their hand raised here. It's our guy Hayden, who was our guest picker this week on uh, our Friday pod. Hayden, I'm going to have you unmute yourself and you can go ahead when you're ready.
1: Hey, um, uh, other than my picks reeling from Thursday, that's not looking so good right now, <laughs> but um, I think, I think more of today, I don't think Baker played bad. I think today showed that we miss. Nick Chubb and Austin Hooper more than we thought and I do we does the defense need to make a cut doesn't need to make a big move but do they need to make a move or so pick up a pick up a player here and there to clog the holes there because Josh Jacobs really just tore us up and took, took time away from the offense that didn't help either so
2: yeah I mean we've we got to talk about that defense really um I mean, it was an issue today. And, and I I think the reason is this defense has been really boom or bust. They're very reliant on the turnover. And if they're not getting turnovers, they're not shutting people down. And that's just a really, that can be a really fickle thing to have to rely on. And and they were playing a team today that just does not turn the football over. Now they came close. The Browns came close on that first drive. They almost forced two turnovers on one play uh, with a miles Garrett near strip sack. And then Ronnie Harrison should have had a pick. Um, But and then the Raiders missed a field goal, so it didn't really matter. But the defense really, just that time of possession today, the, the way they were, they allowed the Raiders to control the clock, kind of the way Kevin Stefanski always wants to, it, it was a problem.
3: Yeah, and it's demoralizing for a unit, especially a unit up front when you're getting pushed backwards like that. Um, you know, these defensive linemen up front, I, I, I guess in a perfect world, the, the goal is to occupy space, take a man assignment and have your linebackers come in and fill gaps in the run blitz and run game and make a tackle the linebacker tackling was atrocious today that's demoralizing for the guys up front and then it it begins to wear on you because the guys who were playing lights out football early in the year Larry Ogunjobi even Jordan Elliott at times Sheldon Richardson these interior defenders they are have not been heard from in in a few weeks now really Starting definitely in Pittsburgh when this when I started to really worry about this run defense because it didn't look anything like it did in those first four games. So I don't not I don't think the answer is a, a trade to go out and grab somebody. I think that this defense needs to clean up what it has in house. Larry, Ogun, Larry Ogunjobi has put great games on tape already this year. Where did that go? Where did Jordan Elliott's production go? What's going on with Sheldon Richardson and why can't these linebackers tackle? Uh, they as though they are two completely different meeting rooms your front seven need to play together and neither side is complementing the other right now and as for quickly Hooper um, and just the other offensive pieces that have been missing I think Hayden's right on there um, this was one thing I was worried about where just where is your production going to come from and who, who on this offense is the Raiders going to be afraid of and eventually you can't rely on guys that aren't who are taking every rep because it's exactly what you just said, Dan, like the Kareem Hunt effect. And then his replacement level, you, you know, you, you lose Austin Hooper and Harrison Bryant has a breakout game, but then what's going on after him and you see a David and Joku drop and whatnot. So this team just needs to get healthy on offense. I think they will be fine. And defensively, they just need to have uh, almost come to Jesus moment and go back and find that defense, that run stopping upfront mentality that they had over those first four games. Yeah, somebody
2: in the chat asking, um, when's the last time this team forced a punt? Well, good news, they did force a punt today, but it's the only punt that they forced uh, in, in the last uh, two games. So they're just, again, they're so reliant on being able to force turnovers. And Doug was in here, and I think I lost him. I'm trying to find him here to, get, to bring him on. Um, you know,
3: I'll, I'll say this quickly about the turnovers too, Dan. We don't know what's going on with Miles. Uh, of course, MRI coming soon, and uh, he, another guy who just r- clearly really needs the bye week. This was a game that was screaming for Miles Garrett impact play, Uh, that for that strip sack to continue, that streak to continue. It just it was waiting for one of the teams to just make a big play because no no team really did that today. There was no explosive plays today at First Energy Stadium, and that could have been a Miles Garrett strip sack that could have swung the game. And unfortunately, his health didn't give him enough snaps and enough opportunities to do that. And then by the time. Uh, the Browns really needed a stop. The Browns, were, or excuse me, the Raiders were just running the ball anyway, but Miles Garrett being hurt of course doesn't help this team at all. But, uh, but just when your offense is that limited, that's when you need a Miles Garrett strip sack even more. And that wasn't able to happen
1: today.
2: Now, now the good news, Olivia Vernon did show up today. He had two sacks, um, made a couple of plays in the run game. So you hope that continues and, and that maybe you get some production now opposite Miles Garrett uh, once he gets healthy, but You know, you just missed him. And even watching him walk off the field when he was coming off, you know, in that second half, the guy was in clear pain, just wasn't the same player. Um, And it's noticeable. We saw it last year, uh, what it means to this defense when Miles Garrett isn't there. And I think it's even more so now because he's that one guy that can just change a football game and end one of those really long drives um, that the Raiders had. All right, Doug is now in the house. I think we've got him all set up, ready to go. Uh, Doug, your thoughts on this one?
4: Moving on, <laughs> I find, I suppose our jobs require us to analyze everything the moment it happens. That's why we've all written stories already. We're doing a post-game podcast. I don't, I'm not, I'm literally taking nothing away from this game. They're five and three going to the bye. They were missing a bunch of offensive dudes who were coming back. Miles got hurt. Miles' is MRI tomorrow is a huge deal. The weather stunk. The Raiders are a a team right at the Browns level. Yes, their defense has the same problems we always thought they had. They only gave up 16, though. And when things are normal, they're going to score more than six. So on to Deshaun Watson in two weeks.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I can't argue with that. (laughs) You know, I mean, that's sort of how I felt watching the game, too. Um, That's kind of a boring way to cover football. We do have to talk about the games. But... No, I mean I I don't come out of this game like panicked. I don't come out of this game worried. Obviously, I think there's things that I didn't love. There's things that, especially on the defensive side, I didn't like how the Raiders really kind of controlled this game. But you know, it was 16 to six, and if the Browns make that field goal at the end, 16 to nine, they got their three timeouts. Maybe they make the game interesting. Maybe Jarvis Landry catches a couple of balls that he didn't catch earlier. I, you know, I don't know. There's there's no panic out of this game. It's just kind of. A meh sort of way to go into the bye week, I guess, after a really good first half of the season.
4: Nobody thinks the Browns' plan to win is by actually stopping anybody. Their plan to win is outscoring people and creating turnovers on defense here and there. But like the idea that the Raiders marched on them in a, in a couple of critical spots, that's been the case. That's not a huge new revelation. So it's, it's at the moment, I mean, that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about long-term health. What do you do in the offseason? We're talking about this team. You're not going to miraculously change that. You're going to have to win despite of it, despite it. But when you don't have Nick Chubb, Wyatt Teller or Austin Hooper, it's the first game where you don't have OBJ. The weather stinks. You have a bunch of critical drops that kill any kind of offensive momentum you're going to get. Then all of a sudden, you know, giving up one touchdown all of a sudden feels worse, but, It's a very interesting second half that starts right away. They have three horrible teams on the second half schedule. They have three playoff teams on the second half schedule, but they open with the two games that are going to determine the season, which is the Texans and the Eagles, their first two games coming out of the bye. And I've brushed off a lot of these losses. Hey, you lost to two great teams. I'm not going to worry about it. Hey, you lost in weird weather with a lot of key injuries today. I'm not going to worry about it. It's winning time they have to beat the Texans and they have to beat the Eagles and they have to get healthy and they have to get better over the off week to do that. But I don't see anything that I think would prevent them from doing all of that.
2: Ellis, any, any pushback on that? Or are you on the, kind of the same boat as we are?
3: My only concern coming out of this game is how is this passing attack going to generate explosive plays? Who on this offense scares opposing defenses through the air? Now, perhaps it's just going to be nobody. And that's an adjustment that Kevin Stefanski is going to have to account for. And this team will just be a much like the Raiders were today. March down the field, long drives, few plays of over, you know, 15 yards. And they're going to execute in the red zone and they're going to get their points that way. Um, but you can just, you, you felt it today. Like there just was not going to be anyone to make an explosive play. I know Jarvis was there at times. I worry about Jarvis's ability when teams know he's the number one option and how Baker Mayfield focuses on him on those first reads that they're just going to take that away. And then who's next, but that remains to be seen. And Nick Chubb coming back may just make this team a one, two punch again with Chubb and Kareem Hunt. And they're going to, really keep the ball out of Baker's hands. This might take care of itself, but there isn't a player on this offense right now that opposing defensive coordinators are frankly worried about hitting home run. Out.
4: Taiwan Taylor got a little more run today than anybody expected, right? He sure, he sure did a lot more run than anybody expected.
3: Didn't see that coming.
2: Good. <laughs> I mean, Hodges back out there.
4: The one thing is, and they didn't even try anything. I mean, the Raiders at least the Raiders took that shot to rugs that Carr had him and he missed him terribly. But certainly it didn't feel like a day where a lot of that was going to work anyway, but I don't disagree with that, Ellis. I mean, like, I'm, I'll be very curious on a, a day when the weather is a little more conducive to passing. Um, do they, do they take shots? Do they, can they take shots with a couple guys just to try to loosen up a defense? I mean, if you don't hit many of them and if not, how effective is sort of a ball control offense with throwing to the tight ends, throwing to Jarvis, running the ball? And the answer is it actually might be pretty darn effective. That they might be able to march, control time of possession, score in the red zone as they have successfully much of this year, and and actually be okay. I mean, like and and outscore people that way. I I absolutely think that's on the table, but I you're obviously right, Ellis, that we have to what is the answer to that? I'm not saying there's no obvious answer, but I think maybe they'll have a little more of an answer than wind and snow allowed them to try to show in the first game when they were trying it.
2: Um, Now, again, if if you're out there listening and you want to jump in, use that raise hand feature or or jump in the chat and fire away with your question. I've seen a couple of the ones in the chat, which we'll get to here uh, in a little bit, but I do want to bring something up. I felt like, and I, I wonder what you guys think, when the Browns came out in the third quarter, they put together that six minute and 13 second drive that ends on the field goal. Uh, It was the one where Jarvis Landry had the touchdown overturned. I felt like the Browns maybe figured something out on that drive. They were balanced. I felt like Baker Mayfield had it going a little bit. Um, He hit Harrison Bryant on kind of this weird throw that sort of felt like he was adjusting to the conditions (laughs) a little bit. Uh, And I felt like they maybe had something going, but then they get the touchdown overturned. They settle for a field goal. And then they don't see the ball again until 1453 left in the fourth quarter. It was just almost impossible for this team to find any sort of momentum today, because I really wanted to see, okay, if the defense comes out and gets a stop, did they find something? Did they get a little something going on that drive? But you're just never going to find that out if you don't see the ball for another nine minutes, basically.
3: Yeah. And I, I, I said on got to watch the tape on Friday that this was going to be the most disciplined play caller that the Browns had played yet. Um, No disrespect to the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers, but that offense can get a little, um, stagnant at times the way big ben changes his plays at the line and throws a quick screen and a quick slant and before you know it, it's third and 10 this team is comfortable in second and eight and then they're comfortable in third and six and they're comfortable in fourth and one or two and they just keep going and going and going and that's exactly what happened today and dan you're so right about the inability to not only just create momentum, but to stay loose and to stay energized. When you're on the your offense is on the sideline that long in in cold temperatures and freezing winds, your your muscles get tight, your hands get cold, you start thinking about that weather some more. And it's really just a domino effect that leads to offenses that are not going to be explosive. And that's what happened today. John Gruden called a masterful game and was in complete control of this from start to finish, it seemed like.
4: And it did feel, I mean, I'm sure you guys have talked about this. I mean, the drops really killed him and that's something, I mean, you got to catch it in bad weather. Jarvis had multiple ones and Joku. I mean, what else is new? He has a critical <laughs> drop. So, I mean, you know, you, you can't be waiting anymore for David and Joku to stop dropping the ball when you need him to catch the ball. So that's, that's something that's a problem, but it's not a new problem. I think a lot with a team like this, I'm looking for new problems. If it's like, all right, the the problems that exist that we all know about that Kevin Stefanski and Joe Woods and everybody else Alex Van Pelt they all know about, so then they can work around those. Jarvis, I think Jarvis really could use a week off. I mean, th- there's a lot been put on this guy. Emotionally, his friend gets hurt. He's he, I think he's he carries the emotional burden of this team a lot. I think every time Baker's not good, it kind of we, we wind up saying like Jarvis, what are you guys gonna do? Baker's not right. And I think Jarvis, I guess, I don't know if you can travel Jarvis should go to a tropical island somewhere, let his rib (laughs) heal, clear his head. And I think when Jarvis comes back, he won't have critical drops like he did on this game. But I, at least I thought out of today, Baker, it wasn't like Baker was looking, I didn't think he looked skittish in the pocket. I thought he stepped up and made some good throws sometimes. I mean, it was hard to get anything going, but as I thought it was a treading water game. And Dan, I think you're exactly right. It felt like out of that halftime, you want them to come out and show something. It's like, Hey, they made adjustments. Good job. They figured something out and they didn't get a chance to really continue that, but no new red flags, which I think in its own way is reassuring for a team that's going to a buy at five and three.
2: Yeah. Unfortunately for Jarvis, he's going to be stuck at home. These guys have, still have to go in and get tested every single day, but at least he'll get some time away from, from the facility and, and all of that stuff. All right, let's, uh, let's bring in a question. This is Terry. I'm going to go to you. I'm going to ask you to unmute. And while you're doing that, I'm going to throw this out there because this sounds a little bit strange. I feel like Gruden and Stefanski are kind of similar in the way they call plays. (laughs) You know, Gruden gets a lot of heat. And uh, Terry, you should have gotten the ass to unmute there if you didn't. Uh, Gruden gets a lot of heat because he had those analytics remarks a few years ago at the Combine, but I think people are taking him a little too seriously. This guy just creates offensive geniuses. Sean McVay... Sounds like John Gruden, you know, I think, I think there's a little, uh, I, I don't know. There's no connection there between Stefanski and Gruden, but I, it is interesting to see how Gruden calls plays and you see a little bit of that, uh, in, in Stefanski's approach too. That's my hot take. Terry, go ahead.
3: Okay. Uh, we've been talking the whole program about the big picture, which is I think correct.
4: Uh, but I want to just digress into the little picture for a quick question.
1: Do you think we made a mistake at halftime of not opting to, uh, have the wind in the fourth quarter?
4: Um,
2: you know, maybe, but I don't think it really made it a big difference. To be honest with you, I, I, I don't look at it and think, "Oh, well, that's why they lost this game." Obviously, maybe Parky makes that kick on the other end, and they uh, and they get a chance to onside kick it or whatever, or get the football back. Um, but I don't, I don't think that's why they lost the game. And honestly, again, I that you know, I mentioned that second half drive to start. I think was a really good drive. And I don't know, maybe if that Jarvis touchdown gets upheld, maybe it's a completely different football game. So I, they, I, I don't think that was necessarily a, a mistake. I think even, you got to take the football in the second half.
3: Could they even get an accurate like read on the wind in that stadium? I mean, on the broadcast, it seemed like the the weather was changing <laughs> at, four, at first energy stadium, oh. like every six minutes, you know, it'd be sunny. Then it'd be cloudy. Then it'd be hailing. Then it'd be, a little snow, then a little rain, then more wind going this way. And it just, it seemed like there wasn't an accurate reading on really anything going on there. And that's why I think situationally, Dan, you're, you're right there where um, you kind of throw that out the window because it's not predictable anyway. I, I will it,
2: say it was very clearly, sorry, Doug, it was very clearly um, easier going away from the dog pound, as, okay. as you'd expect. Right. But it was very, very clearly easier for kickers and everyone else kind of going that direction. Uh, but then, you know, we all, we all kind of saw what the wind was doing to the football on, on the dog
4: pound end. And as Terry obviously heard, they talked about it on the broadcast and, you know, they asked Chris Spielman, hey, do you think they should do that? Uh, but it's just so hard to give up the possession. And if the Browns were to come out and taken the ball and gone three and out and punted, you might have said, oh, gosh, why did they do that? They should have taken the wind. They came out and marched down the field and like tried to change the game. By, take, by getting the ball to start the second half. It's just really hard to turn down a chance at, at an extra possession. So I think it's an interesting point, but I think they did make the right decision.
2: And, and I think it's interesting, too, kind of thinking about it in real time. Like, you know, you want to be the smart football team. You want to be every week. You want to be the, the team that does things, you know, based off of data, based off of being the smartest team. And maybe there's going to come a week where – you know, they do make a decision like that. And we're all kind of scratching our heads, like, what are they doing? And we kind of come to find out that that's, that's what they were thinking. So uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, Terry mentioned the big picture and there were a couple of folks in the chat who are talking about the trade deadline. Um, and someone bring brought up Minka Fitzpatrick, the, the uh, Steelers being aggressive last year and going after Minka Fitzpatrick. Of course, they gave up their first round pick to do that. We know there are obvious needs on this defense, I, I want to know what your guys' appetite is for a trade before Tuesday. How big you'd be willing to go. Um, I mean, do you want them to go big? I, I'll, I'll say this. I'm kind of in the camp of you have to know who you are, and I just don't think they're the team that goes big and gives up a, a first-round pick or even a second-round pick uh, to get a guy, unless it's somebody you, you know, who really changes things for you, not just this year but long-term. Um, I'm curious what your guys' appetite, though, is for – any type of trade and what type of trade you'd want them to make before Tuesday.
3: So I'll take this real quick. Um, the Mika Fitzpatrick trade is an outlier and should not be used to compare Browns football for this reason. First, there's not really a disgruntled young uh, playmaking safety available right now. Like the dolphins were trying to, to sell off all their players, much like the Jags sort of were this year. That's just not going on right now. And it's now pretty clear, and I'm, I'm, I have the gift of hindsight to be able to say this, it's now pretty clear that Mike Tomlin acquired Mika Fitzpatrick because he knew he had a good defense that he was now ready to make great, and that is was shown in how good their defense was last year and then being an 8-8 and football team with Duck Hodges, and now they're 7-0 and with a great defense. So when you make a trade to go from good to great, that makes sense. If you were making a trade to go from bad to average or maybe – slightly above average, that to me is risky business because there's a lot more that can go wrong that slips you back from above average back to bad while you still acquire that good player than what can go wrong between the jumps of good to great. So the Browns are just nowhere near a spot where they're one trade away from fill in the blanks. They're not one trade away from having a good defense. They're not one trade away from winning this division. They're not one trade away from winning the Super Bowl. So I would suspect this front office is gonna take the long term approach and, and not be aggressive at the deadline.
4: Are they one trade away from maybe making the playoffs to definitely making the playoffs?
2: No. No? And I and I don't think
4: they're one trade away from
2: like winning a playoff game, even. I think they kind of are who they are. Unless you're talking about like you're gonna give up a first round pick for I, I mean, I can't even think of a name that might be out there. Um, so, I mean, I I guess if you were looking at a wide receiver, if if that was something you were concerned about,
4: I'm not doing that. I'm talking about, I mean the, the, but the Minka Fitzpatrick version, and obviously Ellis is right. Minka Fitzpatrick situations don't grow on trees, but if you think about the, the Odell, right. The Odell situation, the Browns basically Gettleman viewed it as two first Jabril Peppers who actually probably, you know what? I mean, if you're looking for a safety from a crappy team that maybe they're looking to sell somebody off. Could you get Jabril Peppers for a third? Would he help this team right now? Who's raising their hand on that? That's just me oh, making no. it up. <laughs> but when you think about what they actually gave up for Odell, and like I think Dexter Lawrence is the pick that the Giants got out of that, the first-round pick. This Browns' first-round pick, is not top 10. It's not going to be a top-eight pick. It's going to be like the 19th pick in the draft or the 21st pick in the draft or whatever. So if you think you could get a youngish player – that you think you would keep if you could do a Fitzpatrick version of that. And I don't know what that is, but I understand what Ellis is saying of like, you don't want to do something that aggressive if it's not lifting you up a level, but I think there might be a level they could make a leap. And that's the level from maybe a playoff team to definitely a playoff team. And then next year, say you traded for a linebacker or safety. If you make make, make, a Fitzpatrick type trade, that guy is now you like your best player in the back seven, maybe other than Denzel. That helps. Not not a rental, not a one time thing, but like a long term thing. Where I mean, I get it. You can't. You have money. You have to. You have to sign some young guys and and draft picks and get to have them for cheap matters. I'm just saying, I don't think it's gonna happen. But if the exact Minka Fitzpatrick scenario came available, are you saying you wouldn't do it? Because I would do that because I do think there's a level up from maybe playoff to definitely playoff.
2: I mean, if if we're talking like Mingo Fitzpatrick, yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to consider it. But I also think the other outlier with that, Ellis, is when the Dolphins made that trade, they thought the Steelers were going to have like a top five pick. Right. Exactly. I mean, the Steelers were they had just lost Ben. I don't remember exactly what the timing was on that, but the Dolphins made that play as a low as like a gamble. Like, hey, you guys don't have Ben. You're going to be starting Mason Rudolph. They probably hadn't even heard of Duck Hodges at that point. And they're probably thinking, okay, you guys are giving up a chance to acquire, you know, maybe the the next quarterback for your team for Minka Fitzpatrick. All right, now obviously Mike Tomlin believed that they could go ahead and and continue to win, and that that pick I don't remember what number it ended up at, um, but that, that was it seventeen, or is that too high? I don't remember, um, but. Mike Tomlin obviously believed that that pick wasn't going to be as high as they, uh, as, as maybe the dolphins had hoped. So I think that's part of the outlier too, Doug. I mean, you said the key thing here. I don't think the Browns are going to have a top 10 pick here. It's going to be a pick in, in the middle of the first round. And of course, if they manage to make the playoffs, uh, it'll be lower. And the other part of this too, is when you say, is a, is a trade going to put the Browns over the top to make the postseason? I still think this team can look at this schedule and say, you know, we've got nine or 10 wins easy. Now, I know know they're not actually saying that out loud, but if we're all being realistic, as we've talked about over and over again, you got to beat Houston, right? You got to beat the Jets and the Giants. You probably have to beat Philadelphia, although I don't know, maybe they'll be healthier by then. Um, There's a lot of teams that Jacksonville, right? You've got to beat those teams. And if you can't beat those teams, then maybe that one trade you're going to make isn't really worth it anyway in the first place.
4: But don't you think they could trade for a defensive player who will help them beat Houston and Philly? That's my whole point. But you don't I mean what are you giving up? I mean I'm I'm just saying I'm I listen, I don't know. But they have some <laughs> assets. If you could get Mike Fitzpatrick which you can't, I give up the first round pick. But if you're asking me, you know, listen. I love draft picks, I love capital. You know who's a third round pick? Sioni Takitaki. taki Would <laughs> I trade my when I trade a third round pick? for a starter on defense in the back seven heck yes I would you know who's a second round pick Emmanuel Ogba you know who's a second round pick Austin Corbett would I trade the second round pick for a known defensive playmaker in the back seven who's not a half-year rental heck yes I would and I trust Andrew Barry to make good picks yeah I mean I think it's the level of pick
2: because I, I don't think you're trade, you wouldn't be trading for a guy to beat Houston and to beat Philadelphia. That, that's not your ultimate goal, right? Your ultimate goal is to, you want to make the playoffs if you can this year, but you're looking for that control. You're looking for a guy that you can have a part, you're kind of looking for a Ronnie Harrison trade. A guy who's young, you control for a little bit. He's not going to cost a lot. You know, we'll kind of see what he brings to this defense when Grant telpic comes back. I think that's the sort of trade you're looking for. And I'd be okay with a trade like that.
3: And Doug, I promise you that front offices don't view their draft picks in the way you just listed a bunch of busts, because then you're not putting faith in your scouting department. Internal in-house scouting departments, front offices view those draft picks as uh, cream of the crop capital, because they have faith in their area scouts, their regional scouts, and their department overall to make accurate picks. And the fact that they think they can pick better than someone else can coming in can make a trade for so the point being this is a front office that believes in the draft in the draft process we're already seeing a plenty of rookies influencing and helping this team win games already i don't see why that wouldn't continue going forward and then secondly we can keep hypothetically about this trade but the fact is this player doesn't exist maybe it was jamal adams back when he was trying to get out of new york but that happened seven weeks ago and the Browns weren't in on that. And that that's why the the, the page on this one is just turned. It's just there's no wh- where for, there's nowhere for them really to go because Grant Delpit was supposed to be this guy and he got hurt, and they have every plan of having him be a big part of this defense next year, I'm sure, assuming he heals fully and comes back hundred percent.
4: Anthony Harris is not the guy.
3: I just I think that's a money thing because now now you're talking about tying up. 11 12 million to a safety who had one good year and has now a part of a suspect secondary in Minnesota so what are you really paying for when you can again keep that cap money safe and secure especially with next year with the cap likely going down just keep building to the draft Dan said it: this defense and specifically this secondary sort of just is what it is Ronnie Harrison keeps playing better Sandejo even though he's a mess is not coming off the field it, it just people need to stop war- wondering about it it's not happening and this, it's just where we're at next year this will look the secondary will look a lot different but right now they are who they are and they're going to try and win in different ways like creating turnovers and outscoring teams
4: he's coming off the field when they trade for a safety listen
3: I just I find it
4: odd I'm not I'm in favor. I I nobody loves anal you know the analytics and the draft and this whole thing better than I do. I also think they have a belief that they can manipulate the draft. And so trade a second round pick for a move that'll help you now and later. And then when it comes around to the draft, trade your first round pick, move down t- 10 spots and acquire an extra second rounder from all the dumb teams. So like there I think when you do this right You move back and you take advantage of situations. You take a shot at moments. You do the Brock Osweiler thing and you get an extra second rounder. I think they believe in their abilities to increase their draft capital in moments when they could take advantage of other teams' desperation. And then that means sometimes you take a shot. And that's all I think this would be. They have a little bit of extra draft capital right now. I think you could take a shot because I don't think anything is locked in and i've been saying they're making the playoffs the whole year i don't think anything about the second half is locked in a hundred percent for sure and i think if they don't make the playoffs this season because their back seven is atrocious that would be a disappointment so if you could fix that to some degree i think that's worthwhile and i would give up draft capital to do it and it's not saying you don't believe in your drafting ability it's knowing when to take advantage of an opportunity in the marketplace
3: and take a little smart risk. All right, Doug. So quick, uh, star Wars <laughs> revenge of the Sith lesson for you here at the oh end of that movie, Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, has the high ground and Anakin Skywalker's goes up and tries to attack him and gets sliced in half. And that's how I'm feeling right now, because you have the high ground in the fact that you are just making up hypothetical trades and not putting <laughs> any actual value or player names on stuff. So I'm giving you some homework teaser for got to watch the tape on Tuesday Come to the guided watch tape recording session with an actual plan of a player and assets that you could would actually happen for the Browns, and then we can continue this discussion. Because until you give me a player and what that player is worth, we're just going to keep jumping in circles around here. Because like you said, you make this trade, but it's not tangible. Like who is available? The, the market there's not safeties walking out. They're not Mika Fitzpatrick's just walking around out here.
4: Ellis, I'm a columnist. I don't deal in facts. There you go, and that's why you have the high ground,
3: Obi Wan.
2: As as Doug always says, on, on gotta watch the tape. He's the one that asks the questions. He's the one that that yells a lot. You guys have to come with the facts. Yeah. All right, Hayden wants to jump in here with another uh, another question here. Hayden, go for it.
1: Well, a- answering like Doug's Minka Fitzpatrick scenario, and also he was right about the Jets Chiefs Chiefs caught covered that by six points. So credit credit to you, Doug, for that one. But um, uh, to answer that Minka Fitzpatrick scenario, there is someone out there that I think is that person, and that's Marcus May of the Jets. Guarantee he's on the Jets, and that doesn't make him look too good. But I would definitely give up a second or a third, maybe a first, depending if I get something else with him to get Marcus May. Because you could pair him with Grant Delpit for the long period of time. Because one's a free, one's a strong. It would probably work pretty well.
4: And that Ellis is why I don't have to have facts because a teenager will call in and hand them to me.
3: Well, future GM, future GM Hayden and knows what he's talking about. Um, There is a lot of talk around Marcus May right now. The jets are one of those teams willing to get rid of guys. Um, I would assume in that case, my, my only rebuttal to that would be two things. I think the Browns would get outbid in a scenario like that, a more desperate team, with a more urgent uh, playoff push and more championship aspirations and a deadline, you know, an aging quarterback, something like that. I think they would outbid the Browns there and have Andrew Berry back off. And second, I just, again, I don't think this team can take Andrew Sandeo off the field for whatever reason. He clearly is a part of this defense pre-snap that is helping everyone get organized and be where they need to be. Even though once the ball is in play, he's not helping all that much, but there is, He's clearly um, a, an extension of Joe Woods in the secondary out there. And I think bringing a guy in to now have now, now who becomes your signal caller, who becomes your leader in the back end. I think that becomes a, a communication issue, the type of stuff that would work in Madden, but does not work in, in real football. So, Hayden, hey, I hear you. I, I love that you threw a name out there and had Doug's back. That's, that's why we like having you on the show, man. And can can I point out that I think I went
2: three and one this week? Since we're all since we're all talking about our picks, I just want to point. I think I think I went three and one this week. Of course, Doug, as you warned me, it was the Patriots that I that I lost on three and a half. That half point killed me. I could have gotten the Ellis Williams push there if that half point would have been there. <laughs> You're getting a
3: push tonight, baby. Sunday night football, <laughs> Dallas by nine.
2: Hey, let's make everybody feel really good right here. Uh, I got the uh, the updated in real time at 602 p.m. on sunday uh, updated official nfl standings here the cleveland browns currently 5 and 3 possessing the number 7 seed a half game back of the indianapolis colts who are now 5 and 2 and the baltimore ravens who are now 5 and 2 after their loss to pittsburgh baltimore suddenly kind of in play there and the browns have a half game lead over las vegas and miami who won today Chargers playing as we speak against Denver. One of those teams is going to be two and five. The other is going to be three and four. Um, so there we go. If you want to feel good here as we uh, we get towards the end of this show, um, you look at those standings and the Browns are still sitting there right at number seven as they head into their bye week. So we'll, we'll ask this question then before we go, because we, we want to look at that big picture. We want to look at the fact that this team, you know, is five and three at the bye, which I think, have we sat down and mapped out the season. Look, I said this team was going to be 8 and 8 this year. So 5 and 3 is pretty stinking good, especially with the schedule they have left. Ellis, how do you feel about this football team right now as we're at the bye? and I'm sure we'll talk about this more as we go along during the week, but just right now, how do you feel about this team?
3: They're in a really good spot. Um if they had to play next week, I'd be absolutely frightened. This team's not ready to play competitive football right now. That that might be a little harsh competitive football, but I'm just saying they are Beat up, they're the walking wounded, and they're limping to this bye week. Comes at a perfect time. Miles Garrett's MRI is huge. Doug said that when he got on here, that is going to be huge news tomorrow. Um, but overall, I think this offense is going to redefine itself, reshape itself, get back to what it was those first four five games with Nick Chubb coming back, Wyatt Teller coming back, Austin Hooper coming back. I think this is going to be a um, a fresh unit when they get ready uh, to play Houston and. With that being said, we're going to see that, again, bootlegs left and right. We're going to see runs right, and Nick Chubb is going to hit the second level and break off some big runs. Everyone's going to be happy to get Nick Chubb back. No one more than Kevin Stefanski and Baker Mayfield. I'm worried about the defense. Again, Miles Garrett has a lot to do with that. Uh, They need to find a way to generate turnovers. It's all they can really do, and if they're not doing that, they're not stopping anybody. I'm not sure where Larry Ogunjovi or Sheldon Richardson went, maybe they just need some time and they'll come back fresh as well. But this is going to be an offense that carries this team. I think they still get to nine or ten wins comfortably and are right in the picture for that final wild card spot. Baker Mayfield going forward is going to have to prove he can be a progression reading quarterback. I was a little worried today about him locking on to first reads, much as he did in Cincinnati, but his receivers were getting open, so it didn't matter. So looking forward to seeing how Baker progresses. This offense getting back to running the football with Nick Chubb and then assuming Miles Garrett is healthy, his continued quest for the defensive player of the year is also going to be a second half of the season thing. That's going to be fascinating to watch. Doug, same question to you at the buy five and three. There are five
4: AFC playoff teams that are locked in right now. And the Browns are, in a four-way spot fight for the last two spots. It's Indianapolis. Like you said, it's Indianapolis, the Raiders, the Dolphins, and the Browns. Two of those four teams are going to make the playoffs. That's who they're going against. They've beaten the Colts. They've lost to the Raiders. Today was weird. I think they're in good shape because of where they are, but I also think, although today was a little bit of a trend down, I think they're going to trend up out of the bye. I think we have perhaps underestimated and under-talked about how really injured they are. I mean, it is... I. I the Chubb thing is gigantic. And I think because Kareem Hunt is there and he's so good, we have we have not spent every podcast for the past month talking about it. When he comes back, I think the world changes. And I think now without Odell, how are they gonna do this? I mean, listen, you know who catches that in Joku drop today? You know who doesn't fumble the Bryant fumble today? Austin Hooper. Him getting back is gonna be huge. And yes, I know there's gonna be two and three tight ends on the field. Austin Hooper is going to really start making his money without Odell when he comes back. Baker, I think, is trending the right way. I think this team is going to get healthy. I think Stefanski is going to have a chance to reset everything, figure out the best way to attack people. I think Joe Woods is going to have a chance to sit down and say, "Okay, we're bad in these areas. How do we patch up our wounds the best we can? And it's just they are going to have I've brushed off all the losses so far. I think the Texans and the Eagles are the first two games out of the bye. I think they're must-win games. I, I Like, it's, it, this is it. They're building up to this. And then you get to the whole back. It's two games right off the bat against teams that you should be better than, but they need to come out and be great. And, like, what they did in the second half today, Dan, hey, some stuff went crazy, but look at this first drive. That's what the second half of the season needs to look like. That they all took a break. They took a minute. They adjusted and they came out ready to roll. I'm going to anticipate that's going to happen and that they are going to go five and three or six and two in the second half. But if they don't come out great against the Texans, that's going to be a problem. They've lost their wiggle room. Today was the wiggle room game. Because if you win today, then you can have a weird loss in the second half and you're still okay. You lost that. Today was the weird loss. It doesn't end you. It just means you can't have another one. So huge bye week and then ready to roll. Yep.
2: Let's see where you are December 6th, right? When you go to, you go to Nashville, you play a Titans team that just lost to the Bengals. Um, they're, they're, kind of, they're kind of searching for themselves a little bit now. Um, but let's see where you are December 6th. That playoff chase really starts after Thanksgiving. Just get there, right? I, I mean, I think this will be a very different-sounding podcast if we're talking about a loss to Houston, if we're talking about a, a loss to Philly. Uh, but this was a game like you said Doug weird conditions I think a really good Raiders team that had a very misleading final score against Tampa Um, and you know the the Browns had a chance at one point to maybe win this football game it didn't happen Uh, we'll kind of see where they are in a little while okay I think that'll do it here on our post game show I appreciate everybody uh, joining us if you listen to this and you want to get involved football insider go to cleveland.com slash browns click on the blue banner up at the top of the page and you've got to make sure you're subscribed to the orange and brown talk podcast because we will have a full slate of pods still coming your way this week during the bye week so that includes our five daily pods and the two gotta watch the tape episodes this week which apparently is going to involve ellis putting doug on the spot i want to i want to hear what those names you come up with are doug he's not
3: going to do his homework you know it
4: if I was a boxer and I, and I was getting ready for Ellis to take it to me, I would just go in the center of the ring and hug him for three minutes every round and not let him hit me. So expect a lot of that. I got to watch the tape.
2: Hey man, we don't do enough of this, Doug, but I also want to give a shout out because you guys are back. Uh, I mean, you guys were going all off season, but you guys are really back now with real football talk. Uh, Buckeye talk uh, going strong as well with your guys's uh, fast food. Where are you at with the, uh, the chain, the chain restaurant bracket?
4: So we had the final four in the chain restaurant bracket. It was uh, Cheesecake Factory was in the final four. I was very mad that Chili's lost in the Elite Eight. So we will have the championship game and the fast food bracket will go out to the Ohio State Tech subscribers this week. Lots of steakhouses involved. But if you want to be part of that, all, all you great listeners here who subscribe to the Browns texts, you can try a 14-day free trial on the Ohio State texts 614 614- three five oh three three one five It's the exact same kind of thing you get with the browns try it out for 14 days and see what you think
2: all right and also make sure you're subscribed to to buckeye talk as well we got lots of pods coming your way lots of great football stuff finally happening here uh, now that everybody is back up and running all right so for ellis and doug and of course mary Kay from earlier i appreciate all of you listening i'm dan talk to you later